These kids are picky about their gummies, I'm here to tell you. How many people have your Bibles today? If you have your Bible, stand up and raise it above your head and bear witness of God's Word. Amen. This will be the authority that we use today. Is that okay with everybody? You may be seated, please. Turn, if you will, to the book of John chapter 3. We'll be in John chapter 3 today, and we'll also be in Acts chapter 8. The simplest way for me to let these children understand the simple message of God is that God loves you. Do you know that God loves you? And his act of love towards you is to be able to to be able to imply to you that he wants you to be with him. Now, if you love somebody, you want their company, right? And God wants you to have a relationship with him. So, in order to express his love to us, he gave us the opportunity to have fellowship with him by coming through his son Jesus Christ, which was his gift of love. We can't come to God because in our own self, we have all sinned. And God is holy and righteous. He has nothing to do with sin. So we have a problem here. Our problem is we can't get to God because of the sin that we have in our life. And so God made a way for us to get to Him by having Jesus Christ pay the price for our sin. If we accept His act of love to us, which is accepting Jesus as our Savior, use Him for our forgiveness, then we've accepted God's valentine, if you will. That's the way the children would understand it. But if we reject it, if we just assume that it's there, if we just know that it's there and mentally accept it, then we don't really accept it. You see, God looks at the way that we accept Him. And today I want to talk to you about the way that we come into a relationship with God. The Bible calls it being born again being saved. And I know that you might be like I was when I was growing up and as a child I was in a church and we never talked about being born again or we never talked about being saved. But we did learn about God. And I feel like there are lots and lots of people who wear the tag of Christian and actually believe They believe in God and they believe that they're being good enough to have a relationship with God. And they believe that if they go to church and they believe that if they learn about God, that they come into a relationship with God and they're going to be with Him forever in heaven. And I want to be able to use the Word of God to dispel that today. Because there is only one way to come to God. And Jesus tells us that way. But you see, Christians, even Christians who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they overlook this way. It's almost as if, you know, I got saved 40-some years ago. Somewhere in those 40 years, many, many times, I can forget this overwhelming fact that I'm saved. You say, preacher, you can forget you're saved. Oh, when I get my mind on other things, sometimes I'm not thinking about being saved. Is it just me? I don't think about what happened, but let me get away from God a little bit. Let me become distant. Let me start worshiping less frequently and less frequently. And then what will happen is 
because I'm not on speaking terms with him the way I was, because I'm not hearing his voice speak to me, well, I'll even begin to doubt my salvation. I'll begin to doubt the the reality of God, and if this God thing is really real, you say, how in the world could you do that? I'm stating what everybody refuses to state. Now, how in the world can you get over that? Well, you can be confident in your salvation. child of God needs to be confident in their salvation. But someone who has never been saved and thinks they're saved, they need to be sure of their salvation. If you're not confident in your salvation, you will never share it with anybody. In John chapter 3, we hear a man that was searching and seeking. And do you know, I want to bear witness today, if you're searching and seeking God, you will find him. He will send somebody to be able to speak to you. This particular man was spoken to by Jesus himself. But Jesus told him something that a lot of people aren't talking about today. And I want to talk about it. You see, in today's time, religion and Christianity, as I talked last week about the progressive church and the progressive movement, understand that in the progressive church or the progressive movement, you can come to God just by being around God. You can come to God just by being able to sing the songs we had this morning. You can come to God by a knowledge of things that have happened. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us there has to be an experience in your life. There has to be a life change that happens in your life. You do not just gravitate into a relationship with God. So I want to go back to my early childhood. Do you realize that I was required to go every Sunday and we went. My parents said we're going to be at church on Sunday. They were just good old-fashioned people that were going to be at church and we were going to learn about God. And in that church, as we grew, we went from class to class. And then we went through a class that was an important class. And at the end of that class, if you passed the class, then you were to have a ceremony and they would confirm to you or confirm you that you were now a child of God. You were a Christian by what you've learned. But the Bible has a problem with that because it doesn't tell us that we come to God by knowledge. It tells us that we come to God by truth. And truth is what's found in our heart. And I can't see your heart and you can't see my heart, but God reads our hearts. So no matter what I learn and can recite back, it doesn't mean that I own it, that it's in me. The things that you've learned in school. Anybody in here ever take a class where you learn geography? Anybody in here where you had to look at the used to be taught in school back when we had those old subjects. <laughs> it was before diversity and tolerance came a part of the, the, the social program that we needed to teach when we used to get educated about things so we could get intelligent. Now, you learn those maps, right? Right? How many people still remember exactly where Zambia is as far as Africa goes? Just the school teacher, that's the only one. And I'm glad she raised her hand. You know why? Because she taught it all the time, because she was familiar with it. But if you leave that knowledge alone, it will leave you. Right? You know why? Because you never owned it. You studied it so you could recite it back, so you could pass the test. 
but you never owned it. That's what I'm telling you about salvation. It has to be in you. You have to own it. Adrian Rogers, love that man. He's passed away, but the wisdom he had and just the insight he had, he tells a, gives an example. I've used it before, and you say, oh, I've heard you use that before. You'll probably hear me use it again. It's such a clear picture. I think it's beautiful. He tells you the difference of believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus, putting your life in Jesus. And he uses the example of that jet that you get on that takes you from here to there. And he says, hey, listen, when you buy your ticket for that trip, for that flight, nobody can dispute that you believe that that jet can take you from here to there. Anybody ever bought an airline ticket? When you bought the ticket, did you believe that that jet could take you from here to there? Absolutely. And when you get to the airport, you make all the effort, you actually believe that jet can take you. It's a thought that's just there. Your belief is that it can take you. When you sit in the terminal and you're at the gate and you're waiting for that plane to get loaded up and you see it out that glass and you see all the luggage being loaded on and you're not backing out, you actually believe that plane can take you. You're still on for the journey, right? But until you walk down that narrow way, step into the plane and shut the door, that is the time you put your belief in that plane. That's the difference in putting your life in your belief. You see, beforehand, you had your thought in that belief. Now, you've actually committed to put your life in that belief. That is salvation in a nutshell. When you know you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, it's when you put your life in the belief. Not when you just believe in something. The Bible tells us in the book of James that even the devil believes in God. Even the demons believe in God. But they're not saved. They're not born again. They believe in God, but they haven't put their life in that belief. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he was seeking God. And Jesus told him, you have to put your life into that belief. And he goes ahead and tells him what has to happen. We don't think about this all the time. But I want you to understand that there are certain things that have to happen inside of you. And I realize today that this church is made up of so many people that came from so many different places. It could be this denomination, it could be that denomination, it could be some other denomination. I'm not big on denominations because the Bible didn't have them. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're saved or you're lost. And if you're saved, you're not better than somebody. You're just better off, right? So today I stand before you not promoting or demoting any denomination, just saying that in certain denominations, there are work-driven things that get you to the point to where you're qualified to have a relationship with God. I've been good enough, or I've learned enough, or I've went through the class, or I've passed the test, or now we have quantified you as being somebody that is saved. And now in the new movement that's happening in churches, it, it's not even a uh, a class that you go through it's just hey can you become part of this church and we're all going to stand together and we're going to sing about God and praise God and you're one of his you're a child of God because you're born no you're not a child of God because you're born you're a child of God because you're born again and if a church is not preaching you have to be born again they're not preaching the message of Jesus Jesus said in John chapter 3 you must it's an imperative you must be born again not my words, his words. So understand, after being raised in this kind of mindset, 
when my dad came home one evening after work and told us that he got saved. We thought he had been in an accident. Here I was at 10, 11 years old, and I'd never heard the word saved before. What do you mean you got saved? What happened to you? I got saved today. What happened? Was there an accident? Somebody saved you? So he sat us down and he told us what happened to him. What's that? Hey, I had passed the class and I didn't know what it was. Was I saved? No. Was I born again? No. But something was different about him. There was a boldness to be able to talk about what happened to him. There was something that was driving him that wasn't driving him before. He was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So you see, what happens is there's a change that happens inside. And Christian, if you're in here today, and the change has happened in you, and you know that it's happened in you, I don't want you to discount that at all, but I want you to go back and consider when it happened, and then look at your life now and say, is the change still there? Am I confident in that time that it happened? And if it is, am I bearing witness? And for the person that is in here that is not confident that that has happened, you will find out today that God is speaking to you too. And he is telling you that you have to look at his word and see that there are certain things that go on when a person is born again that are distinctive things. You don't just gravitate into being born again. You know, I, I hear this a lot, and I guess this was part of the motivation. I hear so many people say, I believe in God, and then others that say, I don't know. I mean, we just always believed in God. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been born again. I just always believed in God. Let me take you back to Jesus' phrase. You must finish it with me. It's an experience that happens. Look at John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the rulers, the religious people, the hoity-toity people, if you will. They were above everybody else. They were the ones that said, this is, what, this is what God wants. This is what the Bible says. This is what, well, the Old Testament says at this time. And they rejected this message of Jesus. Jesus came with a new message. He said it's not anymore about just obeying the commands. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He was preaching. Jesus was preaching a message that said, you must come to me. There must be a life change inside, not just outside. The old covenant required us to be able to do the outside works. The new covenant requires us to have something inside happen. There was a man... Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou do except you, God be with him. So he recognized Jesus was special. Not because he accepted he was the Son of God. He recognized it because he had seen things that blew his mind. So he said, you must be from God. Not that you're the son of God, you must be from God. Listen to Jesus. Jesus, it says, answered him, but this is Jesus' response because Jesus knew he was searching to find out who Jesus was. He said in him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's an imperative statement. Is there any wiggle room in there? 
Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What a foolish question. No. Nicodemus was in the same position that I was in those years ago. What does that mean, being born again, being saved? Born again? Me as a man, can I go back into my mother's womb and be born of her again? Absolutely not. But Jesus knew what was on his mind, and he used this as a segue to be able to say the next thing. He answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, say it with me again, you must you must be born again. It is not an option. You must be born again. But he clarifies something here. You see, he tells him, it's not a physical birth. Every man is born. Every person that's here. Let me ask you something today. Has anybody here today, has anybody here today been physically born? The easiest question you will have today. Right? Everybody's been physically born. He said you must be born, say it with me, again. one more time, again. now again. again, now again, again. now again. again. We could go on forever, couldn't we? Again, a second, okay, that's enough. <laughs> another time, but another way. It's not a physical birth again. He's, he clarifies, he says, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. You see, you're not born again just because you're physically born. You're born again when you're spiritually born. To be born of water and of the Spirit is a statement Jesus made. Jesus was not referring here to literal water. He was referring to the need for cleansing. You say, what are you talking about? Any time that you see these two words together, the water and the cleansing, understand or the water and the Spirit, he's speaking of cleansing. Well, why do we need to be cleansed? You see, we go back to what I was talking about to begin with, and I want you to understand this. There is no way that we can come and be in a relationship with God when we are dirtied by sin. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not a person in this room that is righteous enough to get to God. There is not a person in this room that has done enough good things because the Bible says, by grace we're saved through faith that not of ourselves is a gift of God. Not of works can we boast, right? We can't come to God by our works. We can't come to God by our knowledge. We can't come to God just because we've been around God. There has to be something that happens because we are sinners. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that if we stay in this sin condition, the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a choice. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, in this choice, we have to choose God, but when we choose Him, something happens inside. We will be born again, but we're born again because there's a cleansing that takes place. And you might not understand this cleansing, but I think it's best described in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, we don't really usually read, most of you, Ezekiel, and you're just fun reading, right? 
But if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, I want you to see something. It'll be the book right before Daniel. I want you to be able to look and see because it's described here in the way that I think puts it best, better than I can put it. He talks about a cleansing that happens, an experience that happens. God speaks through Ezekiel in verse 24. When you find your place, just say, I have it. God speaks. He says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Now listen. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, when someone is born again, as Jesus says, by water and by the Spirit, there is a cleansing that happens. It's an event. It's when that person realizes, hey, I'm a sinner. And I need to be cleansed. And God, I can't come before you because I see my sin and I'm separated from you by my sin. And so at that point, the person cries out to God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. And they have to use the the death of Jesus, the burial, the resurrection, to be able to forgive their sins. They have to use the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to forgive their sins. They're using that to be able to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're using that for a cleansing. You see, we're too dirty to come to God. And for somebody that says anybody can just walk in and claim the name of God and they are gods and they're a Christian, they're dead wrong. There has to be a cleansing that happens. And as Christians, we forget how important this cleansing is because we don't think anything about getting a little dirty here and a little dirty here and a little dirty here. Understand, in order for us to come to God initially, we had to be totally cleansed. In order for us to stay in fellowship with God, we have to be clean. It is not just a system of works that keeps us clean. The only thing that can clean us is not water, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Spiritual cleansing is when you have your sins cleansed. Now understand something. The psalmist David spoke this in Psalms 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7 of 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now listen to God's command to the, to the prophet Isaiah. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He's talking about a definite cleansing, right? We have to have a spiritual cleansing in order to have fellowship with God. God cannot have fellowship with sin, and sin has to be cleansed. We have to have our sins cleansed in order for us to be born again. There are a lot of people that say, I don't know, I mean, I just always believed in God, but I mean, I feel like I'm born again. Well, then when was the spiritual cleansing? I want you to consider this. That cleansing is a time of refreshing. It's a time of going from dirty to new. It's a life change. It happened inside of you. So would you know it? 
Now, I'm not saying you have to be able to give the month, the day, the hour, and the minute. I'm glad that some people can. I can't. I can just tell you a time. I didn't keep up with it. I can tell you a time frame. And maybe you're like that. But I remember where I was. I remember my prayer of repentance. I remember that on that day I realized I was lost and undone without God. I realized I was separated from God and I saw my sin the way it was. And I knew because the preacher preached, you need to come and confess your sin to God. It's between you and God. So me and God did business on that day. And my sins were cleansed. I was born again on that day. You see, in order to be born again, there has to be a time when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not just that we accept that there's a God somewhere that exists and that Jesus lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. You say, well, I believe God exists and I believe that Jesus exists. I believe he, he went to the cross. Well, good. You believe the historical data. No, that's not going to do it. Well, there's no historical data on God. Well, there's, there's spiritual books that are written. There's the Bible that's written. And we can believe part of that as long as it makes sense to us. No, there's no faith in that. You have to believe inside, not just with your head. You have to believe with your heart, not just with your mind. And when you do this, you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold re received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Right? And then he refers to him as a lamb without blemish or spot. What does this mean? Well, the reason that we tell people they need to accept Jesus as their Savior, we need to go on and explain. Jesus is the only man that never sinned. Because he's the only man that never sinned, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we could be the righteousness of God in him. That's what the Bible tells us. He justified us by his life. We haven't lived a sin-free life. He has. So he says, I'll put my life in their place. That's what you call being redeemed. He paid the penalty of sin for us. That's our valentine. But not if we don't accept it. The way for us to be cleansed in order to be born again is to confess our sin and truly repent of it. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, now listen to God's part, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, what's the word? Cleanse us. Say it again. Again. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't think we're thinking about this. I didn't used to think about it. I have no fellowship with God if I've never been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You have no fellowship with God if you've never been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Do not buy this new kind of teaching and preaching that says if you come in and you're just uh, and you believe that there's a God and you come in and praise Him, you're one of His. If you come in and you're a good person, no. There has to be a cleansing. And there can't be a cleansing unless you ask for it. God doesn't cleanse you 
unless you ask for it. Listen to it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. In that word confession means there's a confession of guilt, there's an acknowledgement of guilt, and there's an ask, an ask on our part for repentance. Please forgive me. Then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But it doesn't just happen because you join a church. It doesn't happen because you pass a class. You must be born again because you are spiritually cleansed. And you can't get cleansed unless you what? Ask for it. Then in order to be born again, it's not just a confession. It requires a profession. Now, I want you to understand this. We have to profess our belief in God and Jesus Christ to God in order for us to be born again. What do you mean a profession? Well, you see, in a covenant, there's a profession. And in God's covenant, there's a profession. In the marriage covenant, so many of you, we've stood right here, right? You come up, and she comes here, and he comes around there, and we talk a little bit, and I'll say, do you accept this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, sickness and health? Yes, I do. I do. Do you take her? Yes, I take her, and she takes me. And listen, we profess this to each other. We profess we love each other. We profess these things. We profess. You know what you have to profess to God? You have to profess your belief in Jesus Christ. A profession and a confession. A confession, well, who does that go to? Well, that goes to him. Well, I thought you could confess to, to each other. Listen, when you've sinned against each other, the Bible tells you to confess to each other because that's how forgiveness is. But your confession is just to God. You say, well, can I just tell you, Pastor, let me clarify this. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So you don't need to confess it to me. I'm as bad as you are. Really? I need to do my own confessing. But God doesn't put a man in this world for you to confess to. He has Jesus Christ that you confess to. And Jesus takes it. He sits on the right hand of God. He's the mediator between you and God. But it requires a profession, a verbal profession. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, the Bible tells us specifically that you don't just gravitate into being born again. Well, what do you mean? Paul put it this way. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Now that confession with your mouth, that is not just confession, that is profession. Profession and confession. You're confessing, first of all, I'm separated from you, God. I am dirty from my sin. God, you are holy and I'm not. But then you are professing, I believe that you made a way for me to get to you. And I believe in Jesus Christ as my sacrifice. You're believing. Listen to this verse. He says in verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation you mean mouth that means verbal yes for people that say I, I don't know about that a verbal profession Jesus Christ hung on a cross for you he hung on a cross for me he was crucified but he was beaten he was spit on he was purged he was mocked he was made misery of 
Why? Because he loved you. And you're saying you can't profess him publicly? Don't worry that I take issue with it. God takes issue with it. Because if he, he says in his word, if you deny me when you're here, I'll deny you in front of your father. But if you confess me here, I'll confess you in front of your father. What does he want? He wants a profession, a verbal profession. And then he wants a confession. Where does this happen? Well, the outside is the profession that's public. The inside is what has to happen. I tell people all the time when they're accepting the Lord, now listen, he wants you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You have an opportunity right now to pray to God and ask him to come into your heart, but he's going to look at your heart and make sure your heart matches your words. You see, anybody can have words. I've had people that stood here and made this covenant with words, but there was a heart issue. The words don't keep you. The heart keeps you. To be saved, to be born again. When we're born again, we're saved from the penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin is separation from God. There are a lot of people that believe in God, but God requires us not just to believe in Him. He requires that we believe on Him and our only way to get to Him. John 14, 6 tells us in Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The way here translated the only way. I'm the only way to come to God. You can't come to God through good works. You can't come to God through Nazareth Community Church. You can't come to God because you're on the church roll. You can't come to God because you're in Sunday school. You can't come to God because your parents were good Christians. You can't come to God because you gave to the church. You can't come to God any other way except to come through Jesus. And Jesus was standing in front of this man, Nicodemus, saying, You must be born again. There needs to be a change that happens in you, a spiritual cleansing. It can't happen unless, well, unless you put all your belief in me, your life belief in me. You have to put your life in my hands. He goes on to explain to him later on in that chapter in verses that you're familiar with. He explained, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Nicodemus, here's, here's what he wants you to do. God's offering you this. Whosoever believeth. You see, man has taken that verse and said, if you just believe there's a God. But you see, Jesus, Jesus went on because he knew that there would be these spirits these religiously intelligent people today that would just spiritualize this and say, as long as you believe in God, you're fine. Well, they're forgetting verse 17 and 18. Jesus went on to say, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I came to save you. If you can just come to God, then what? Were you lost? No. A lost person has to be saved, has to be sought and saved. Amen. You can't just gradually, I think I'll just come to God that day. No, you weren't lost. You've got to have the feeling of being lost. Where can I find him? Where can I find him? I need to have him. Now look at verse 18 of John 3. He makes it clear. He that believeth on him, that's the person that got on the plane, right? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Is there a penalty for not believing? Yes. What is it? It's condemnation. From who? From God. I can't believe a loving God would condemn somebody from, uh, to hell. A loving God never condemned you to hell. A loving God gave you an opportunity to be with Him and avoid hell. You made the choice to go to hell if you refused Him. If you didn't want to come clean, if you don't want to have your sins forgiven, if you didn't want to believe, then you chose that. Our natural man, our natural flesh is sinful. We can't come to God. And as these children grow up here in church, as these children grow up, you know, it is a blessing they get to hear this Bible teaching. They get to hear the children's ministry. We, they get to hear these things as they're coming to this age of learning right from wrong. But when that child reaches the age of understanding that they have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that if they don't, there is a penalty of hell, if we as a church refuse to talk about hell, listen, never talk about it as a way to scare, but you need to let them know, hey, God lets you have this. If you refuse it, you have this. He wants to cleanse you and give you this, but if you refuse it, you get this. You're not saying God is sending people to hell. Man is condemned already because of his own sin. God didn't make you sin. We sinned ourselves because of our natural flesh. He says we have to believe on Jesus. We have to put our life into that belief. As this child reaches the age of knowing right from wrong, and they hear the pastor, even today, talk about being saved, what happens? Well, there has to be something that happens that they respond to. You see, they have to have a spiritual cleansing. If they don't do anything about it, they stay dirty. We're naturally dirty. We're naturally dirt. I want to share a story with you. This brings everything to light because it's an actual salvation experience. And I want you to listen to what happened. It's not a story that happened to me. It's a story that God wanted you to hear. That's why he included it in his word in Acts chapter 8. It shows you what happens to a person. When all of a sudden that knowledge in your head becomes knowledge in your heart. There was a man named Philip. Philip. Well, he was one of God's just hard preachers. He was preaching on behalf of the Lord and revival started breaking out. God called him out of that place. And the Bible actually says in Acts chapter 8 that the Spirit led him out of that place and told him to go to this remote place in the middle of the desert. There was somebody there that he needed to minister to. The person he needed to minister to, well, he's not given a name. We're just told he's the Ethiopian eunuch. This Ethiopian eunuch, he had a position in the government, a high position. He was the financial minister of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. So he was traveling on business. So understand that it tells us he had been to Jerusalem. They were worshiping in Jerusalem, and he had picked up a copy of some of the scriptures from Isaiah. He was curious. He had learned what he needed to learn, but see, in his country, they didn't talk about God. He had searched. He had studied. He wanted to know what it was all about and how he could come to God. And he picked up this particular scripture and didn't understand it. And understand, if you're learning or if you're seeking to learn more about God, God will put somebody in your life to help you. He always will. So this Ethiopian eunuch and Philip got together in Acts chapter 8. Are you there? 
Everybody's there but me. In Acts chapter 8, we begin to read here in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. He said, Arise and go towards the south unto a way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the desert. He arose and he went. Behold, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, who had the charge over all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. What do you mean he came to worship? Worship is when you're seeking fellowship with God. Well, this man was lost. How can a lost man worship? A lost man can't truly worship. A lost man can seek God, but you can't worship God until you find God, until you and God become on speaking terms. But he was trying, and God sees, when he sees anybody trying to get to him, he's going to make a way. He was returning, and he was sitting in his chair reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Understandest thou what thou read? Do you understand what you're reading here, man? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, Hey, man, mind your own business. No. Your version doesn't say that, does it? Because nobody shook their head. No, I was looking around. No, he didn't say mind your own business. He was searching for God, right? Look at his response. He said, how can I accept someone guide me? And he desired that Philip would come up and sit with him. Philip, can you please come up and guide me? Tell me what the scripture is saying. Now look at where he was reading. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb done before the shears. He opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray of thee of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or some other man. This Ethiopian was reading about Jesus from Isaiah 53 that God said he is the lamb that is going to be sent to you. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be led like a sheep to be slaughtered. He's not going to do anything. He's going to give his life willingly. And this guy had no clue who Jesus was. He knew who God was. This is important. Listen. He knew who God was. And he was trying to come to God through knowledge. And he had no idea who this lamb was. He even asked, is this lamb the prophet Isaiah or somebody else? You see, Philip had a remedy. And it's the only remedy that worked. Read the next verse with me. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Did he preach good works? Did he preach knowledge? Did he preach systems, church systems? No, he preached Jesus. The same Jesus that was standing in front of Nicodemus. He preached Jesus. He preached the life of Jesus. He preached the death of Jesus. He preached the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he preached. He preached that Jesus was the only sacrifice. You say, it's one verse and it doesn't tell you what he preached. Listen, if it said he preached Jesus, let me preach Jesus to you a minute. Jesus was God's son that was sent. He was part of God. He was sent to this world because the only way that you can come to God is to accept his sacrifice. This same Jesus went to the cross, a sinless man, and gave himself to die brutally as a sacrifice because in God's covenant, it required a sacrifice. You and me, 
we're not a suitable sacrifice. God, I'm going to give myself to you. Well, he's not really getting much, is he? No. When I give something to God, the only thing I can give to God is my belief that I accept his sacrifice, which is Jesus. You see, in order for me to come to God and be born again, I have to accept Jesus' sacrifice, not give my own sacrifice. You say, well, I thought it required a sacrifice. No, by me accepting him, I'm giving my life. The only thing that I'm giving is my life to Jesus. You say, well, I thought your life wasn't any good. My old life isn't. My new life is. You see, that's sanctification. It comes after salvation. It says when I give my life to Jesus, I'm giving my old life to Jesus. And when I give my old life to Jesus, he's going to cleanse it. He's going to bury it. And I'm resurrected to walk in newness of life as Romans chapter 6 says. And then he can do something with my life. Why? Because we have fellowship together. Because something happens within me. Because after salvation, the Holy Spirit enters into a person. Now, I want to show you in God's Word exactly what happens to this Ethiopian. Now, that doesn't say his complete message. We just know that the message was he preached Jesus. We know that he accepted the sacrifice of Jesus that day. And how do we know? Because it goes on to say, As they went on their way, they came into certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What in the world did he want to get baptized for? Why in the world was he talking about baptized? You say, well, it's not talking about water baptism. Are you kidding me? Did you read the verse? Here's water. What stops me from being? I heard a preacher say one time, it's not talking about a physical baptism here. They came by water. He said, can we get baptized? What are you thinking, man? What's stopping me from getting baptized? You see, he was ready to do the works, and he had heard before, hey, they're baptizing in Jerusalem. And John, he baptized. See, he had been listening. He had been feeling it out. I want to get baptized. Because baptizing, that's what's going to make my covenant with God. Wrong. Wrong. How do you know? Philip quickly told him this. Listen to what Philip said. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Did you hear that profession? You heard a profession because somewhere between those two verses, there was a confession. He professed, I believe in Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What did What did Philip preach? He preached what? Jesus. He said, I believe everything that was preached to me according to the Word of God. At that, we know this man was saved. Now, listen, Pastor Mike, are you discounting the baptism? Oh, no. If I was, we wouldn't even be having one, right? Now, do you need to get baptized to get saved? No. But do you need to get baptized to be obedient? Yes. Baptism is a step of obedience. So Philip said, yes, you can be baptized if, now listen again, it says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, so something has to happen on the inside before you can profess it on the outside. Baptism is an act of profession that you have to God and to the rest of the people around you that something happened on the inside. It's an outside act that represents what happens on the inside. 
Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. A couple of key things here. When I told you I grew up in that church, I don't remember it, but I know I was baptized. I don't remember it because my parents did it for me. It wasn't anything that I did on my own. They made the profession for me. They said, here, we're going to baptize Tim. That's fine. If you want to christen a baby and you want to say, Lord, we trust you to take care of him and symbolically, that's beautiful. But the baptism, understanding the whole word baptism, the word baptism, we get it, it derives from the Greek word babto, which means to dip. Understanding the definition, it means to immerse, submerge, and emerge. It means to go under. Listen, if you look at the scripture, it says they both went down into the water. That means they went into the water, and they came up out of the water. That means there had to be an emergence, a submergence, and an emergence. Why? Because God uses baptism to recognize and to symbolize what actually happens to you on the inside. When you put your belief totally in Jesus, what happens to you is He takes your sin, cleanses you, and He basically says, I'm burying the old so the new can come out. So the water that floats across that baptistry or that lake or that pool, that water is not to wash your sins away. The blood of Jesus washes your sins away. The water serves as a grave. What you're doing is going down in there like the Ethiopian and said, I want to bury the old man. When I come up out of the water, the new man is resurrected. Is it symbolic? Yes, by order of God. Why? Because it's your chance to show him that you profess him. It's your chance to show everybody else that you profess him. And it is an outward sign of what happened on the inside. And if you want to notice, if you want to look, every person from Acts chapter 2, that we see a visible account of salvation from the thousands that were saved in Acts chapter 2, all the way to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. When the person was saved, immediately they were baptized. It was a step of obedience. And I could use the greatest example, which you find in Matthew chapter 3. You see, John was baptizing one day. And see, John had a different baptism. John was baptizing in, in anticipation of Jesus coming, saying, I believe in God and I believe the Messiah is coming and I, I section myself off to God to serve him. Jesus came across the hill one day and John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. How would you like to have been at that baptism service? Hey, by the way, (laughs) behold, the person that, behold, that Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one that's coming, he's right there. That's, That's John. Can you imagine being there? And then as he comes up, Jesus comes right up to John and he says, John, you need to baptize me. John was overwhelmed. John said, listen, Jesus, I'm nothing. I'm not worthy to tie your sandals. I can't do anything. I can't baptize you. I'm a common man. Jesus said this line in Matthew 3, suffer it to be so now, John, for we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. What was Jesus saying? John, you may not want to do it. You may not think I need to be baptized. I don't need to bar anything. I don't need to, to be able to bury anything. But God said 
we have to do this. He gave me orders to come to you. Why did God want Jesus to be baptized? Because Jesus is our example. And when he walked down into that water on that day, John walked down into the water with him. He put, and the Bible tells you, Matthew chapter 3. I don't want to misquote it. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 3. It says, And Jesus answered, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John led him, and it says, Jesus, verse 16, When he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water. Jesus couldn't go out of the water unless he what? Went. He didn't get sprinkled that day. He went down under the water. The Lamb of God to show us says when he came up out of the water, now look at this. You want to know if God approves of it? It says the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. That means it just rested on him. But then there was a voice from God, an audible voice of God that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God put his endorsement, his stamp of approval right there on that baptism saying, hey, listen, when we see something like that, guys, when you say God approves that, listen, this is what you need to do. Why? Because from that day, Jesus was strengthened. What do you mean? I want you to read Luke 4 sometimes. Read Matthew 4. Read the first line in those chapters. You know what it says? Then Jesus, full of the Spirit. Then Jesus in the strength of the Spirit. You know what? Jesus left that baptism and went into the wilderness to be tempted of 40 days. For 40 days, understand what happened to him in that, bapti that baptism was he was strengthened by the Holy Spirit to withstand in this life. And so God wants you to do that as a step of obedience because when you profess him and confess him, the spirit moves into you and he wants to strengthen you through that spirit. The spirit moves into you the minute that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. We learn from Acts chapter 2 when the spirit came on the scene. But understand, there's a strengthening that happens when you're obedient to God. The, the spirit is overwhelmingly stronger. And God gave his stamp of approval. This is my beloved son. I am well pleased. Can you make any kind of different words out of that? Philip took this Ethiopian down in the water and he baptized him. So now we see that he sought God. He found God. Philip preached Jesus to him. This same Jesus that stood in front of Nicodemus and said, you must what? Now, I want to ask you what we were talking about as we started the message. Has there been an experience for you? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know that you're born again? I'm not saying that you just believe in God. I'm saying, do you know that you're born again? Do you know there's been a time that you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Is there a time in your life when you know there was a spiritual cleansing? And Christian, you might say, yes, well, I know, I know that I did, and so I'm good. Wrong. Yes, you're saved? Well, let me tell you something. Since I got saved some 40 years ago, there's probably been 40,000 times since then I've went back and used that same blood of Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. 
I didn't need to get saved again. I needed to get cleansed because I have no fellowship and no relationship with God when I have sin between me and God. I need cleansing. That's why the Bible tells us, even Christians, if we confess our sin, He'll forgive us our sin. Why? God wants fellowship with you, but He can't have fellowship unless there's cleansing. And if I go to God and just confess my sin, God, I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have done that. But Lord, I, I want to be forgiven so I can talk to you and I can ask you to, to heal this person. But God looks in your heart and says, you have no intentions of stopping that. You have no intentions. You're just covering your bases. Then you didn't get forgiveness. You just said words. You have to mean that you're sorry. You have to mean that you've wronged God. That's true repentance. There's no cleansing without true repentance. You see, we take the cleansing thing lightly. It's tough to stay clean. Our flesh battles against us, right? But Christian, if you're born of the Spirit, you've got a, a built-in device that tells you when you're guilty. The longer you go and refuse to respond to that device, the more that it builds up, the dirtier you get it. But there's not a person in here that God can't cleanse completely. It doesn't matter what your past is. But the hardest person in the world to get clean is a person that thinks they don't need to be clean. Those are going to be the people that are the most surprised when they stand in front of Jesus one day and he says, I never knew you. He gives you an opportunity to receive a gift of love. After that gift of love, if you receive it, immediately you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God. He asks you to follow him in baptism. To be able to show on the outside what happened on the inside. And then he'll strengthen that spirit for you to walk with him. Does that make you perfect then? No. But when you have fellowship with the spirit and you don't speak in terms, then it's easier to stay clean. You get away from the sound of God's word for a week, two weeks, three weeks, get too busy or just get too distracted. Stuff starts to pile up, doesn't it? And peace starts to leave. You see, a true Christian doesn't have peace when they're dirty. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is not going to give you peace when you're dirty. I lived outside of God's will for years. I never had God's peace. No matter how good I could justify, and I could justify pretty good what I was doing. Let me ask you today, are you that person that can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm born again. I know I'm saved. I know there was a cleansing in my life. I know that, that there's a time that I turned my life over to Lord Jesus Christ. I confess to him that I'm a sinner. I ask him to come into my heart and save me. Do you know that? Because God wants, to, God wants you to hear that message today. He sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you know that? There is no other way to come to him except by asking him to use the sacrifice of Jesus to forgive your sins. And then if you've done that today, if you've done that today, are you concentrating on how clean you are? Are you confident in your salvation? Are you going out and witnessing the other people? And I gave you the message today of salvation because God overwhelmingly said, hey, listen, we just need to preach about what I've done. Preach about what I've done. There's people that are going to hear this in here. People that are going to hear on the radio. People that are going to put in the CD. People on the website that, hey, they have an idea about me, but They've never been born again. 
They've never been saved. They're church people. They're people that wear the Christian tag. They're people that think, I believe in God, but they're not saved. I was one. Anybody in here ever been one? I don't want there to be one in here today that leaves that isn't completely sure that you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you are somebody that has, I want you to be as excited about it as Philip was, to be able to share and preach Jesus to people. So I wanted to remind you of what he did in the process today so that you can go out and share. We need to see people saved because that was God, that was Jesus' mission when he came to this earth. And God said it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm going to give an invitation today and ask you to consider, not the person beside of you, don't judge somebody else. I want you to make sure of your own salvation today. And if you're completely sure, you're the person that ought to be just praising God. That Ethiopian eunuch, he was so proud, yet today the devil will still try to interfere in this service and tell you, hey, don't go and praise God, that the altar is going to be full enough, you don't need to do it, just do it from here. The devil continually, listen, even like baptism, God wants to see you profess your belief in him, pray to him. If he tells you to come and pray at this altar, you come and pray. If he tells you to stay in your seat, stay in your seat. I don't care. I just want you to be obedient to him. But if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I really want you to be obedient to him. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. That's Jesus' invitation to you. Will it be today? I told you, you must be born again. That was Jesus' words, not Pastor Mike's. Jesus' words, you must be born again. Will you be born again? Will you accept him today? Will you admit that you're a sinner today? Will you confess your sin? Will you accept the sacrifice that Jesus did? Revelation 3.20 doesn't say that Jesus opens the door. It just says he knocks. You know who has to open the door? We do. Have you opened the door today? If you haven't, please don't leave here with any doubt in your salvation. Please come. We'll pray together. There's nothing in this world that would be greater today than seeing you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the angels in heaven will be rejoicing if you do that today. And Christian, you need to be praying for that to happen, but you need to be secure in your own salvation and be willing to go out and share the same thing I shared today. Would you please pray with me? Father God, I love you and I praise you. I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for a day that we were able to talk about the greatest gift of love you've ever given. Lord, you're seeing this whole congregation right now. You're seeing every person that is listening to this message today. And I pray, God, that you would just remove any distraction from their mind right now. I want them to be able to consider themselves. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to ask you today, knowing that I will never point you out, I want to pray for you. If you feel like I'm just sort of unsure about my salvation. I'm just unsure. I'm sort of nervous about it. Believe me, I will not call you out, but please don't look around. I would like everybody to have the, the privacy they need. Would you please slip up your hand? I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Now, others here today, 
you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you know there's been a cleansing experience in your life, but you haven't focused on the cleansing part as much as you needed to. You figured you've been cleansed and, hey, I've went on with life, but I've got a little dirty. I haven't come to him as often as I need to, but I realize I need to, I need to stay clean, to stay in fellowship with him, but I need help. I need you to pray for me. Would you slip up your hand today? Thank you. Thank you everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Father God, you've seen the hands that are raised today. You know us. Lord, I pray today, as people realize your message and how bad you want us to be in fellowship with you, Lord, the importance of the cleansing, not just the initial cleansing, but the continual cleansing, I pray, God, today that lives are changed in this service. Or those that need your help can get your help. Or those that have accepted that cleansing and they know they've been born again, Lord, Lord, you know, we tend to wonder. I pray you speak to them today, and Lord, as they rededicate their life to you, I pray, God, that you would give them, Lord, this exuberance, this peace that they haven't had in a while. And I pray, God, today, if there's anyone here that's, that's lost, give them boldness, Lord, just to be able to step forth, to come and accept that gracious gift that you've given in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.